0: Let's continue reading verses 25 through 33 of Joshua 24. Now, in this last section of the book of Joshua, we have the record of the deaths and burial in the land of three of God's servants, Joseph, Joshua, and Eleazar the priest. Joshua 24, beginning now at verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun the servant of the Lord died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in the hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. Once again, let's begin this section now with some background notes we've seen that Joshua's farewell address here in Joshua 24 was really a call for covenant renewal. In fact, we've seen that the structure of the chapter from verses 1 through 28 has the conventional form of an ancient treaty. The people responded to the stipulations of the covenant and ratified and reaffirmed their commitment to the covenant by saying, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. Then Joshua wrote up the agreement and set up a monument to commemorate this sacred event. Verse 26 once again. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. The sanctuary of the Lord here was not the tabernacle, because the tabernacle was at Shiloh, and this was at Shechem. So the sanctuary of the Lord here seems to refer to this location at Shechem as special and set apart as a holy place. It may have been at this same place that Abraham built his altar to the Lord when he entered the land of Canaan about 700 years before this time. I'm reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree at Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And this same place may have been the same place that Jacob built an altar at Shechem about 500 years before this time. Genesis 33, verses 18 through 20. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan when he came from Paden Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. And Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. So Shechem, you see, was already a place of many memories. And maybe this sanctuary of the Lord that we're reading about here in verse 26 of Joshua 24 was where these events took place. That's why the sanctuary was there. It was considered a special place, a holy place. Whether there was a building there or not, we don't know. And we know that the covenant was already renewed here at Shechem about 25 years before this time. Read about that back in Joshua chapter 8. We see from verses 29 and 30 that soon after Joshua's farewell address and the covenant renewal, we see that Joshua died. Let's read twenty nine and thirty once again. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being one hundred and ten years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaish. Question. If Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, how did he write about his own death and burial? Answer. Most likely, another inspired writer wrote this last section of Joshua, probably Samuel. Well, so much for uh, background for this final section of Joshua 24. Let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points. Doctrinal or teaching point number one, faithful believers publicize their commitment to the Lord. Faithful believers publicize their commitment to the Lord. After Joshua set up this large stone at Shechem as a memorial marker of the covenant commitment, he said to the people in verse 27, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. In other words, this stone was a public testimony of the verbal commitment that the people had made to the Lord. They not only said that they would serve the Lord, they set up this marker as a public testimony. This was good. It's always good for believers to publicize their commitment to the Lord. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, you've heard that expression before, I'm sure. Probably from me. But it's worth repeating. Some Christians are unwilling to publicize their commitment to the Lord. They would not be convicted if they were arrested for being a Christian. There wouldn't be enough evidence. What about you? What about me? Think about it. Is there any real convincing evidence that you're more than just a nice person, that you're a committed Christian? We all need to think this through. Is there any believer here this morning, possibly, who is reluctant to be baptized? Christian baptism is a public testimony of your commitment to the Lord. Faithful believers publicize their commitment to the Lord. Doctrinal point number two, faithful believers appreciate their title to the land. Faithful believers appreciate their title to the land. That is, faithful believers realize and appreciate that they own the land. Verses 29 through 33 is like an appendix to the book of Joshua. It's the report of the death and burial of Joshua, the burial of the bones of Joseph, and the death and burial of Eliezer, the high priest. Now, you might think that this is not a very nice way to end the book of Joshua, talking about the death and burial of three individuals. But it's a great way to end the book for a number of reasons. First of all, it's the way that God ordained that the book should end. Therefore, it is good. No questions asked. But furthermore... Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. From God's point of view, this is a happy homecoming ending to the book of Joshua. And certainly one of the lessons that we can glean from this ending is that God buries his workmen but continues his work. The Bible doesn't end at Joshua chapter 24. And another lesson we can learn from this last section of Joshua is our doctrinal point. Faithful believers appreciate their title to the land. Think it through now. Many people like to be buried where they were born and raised. That's home to them. Not Joshua and Eliezer. They wanted to be buried in the land that God had given his people. This was home for them. They appreciated their title to the land. Joseph also appreciated the promised land. Back in Genesis 50, verses 24 through 26, we read, And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in egypt and then at the time of the exodus we read in exodus 13 verse 19 and moses took the bones of joseph with him for he had placed the children of israel under solemn oath saying god will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you so the bones of joseph were carried by the children of israel for 40 years in the wilderness And now, finally, they are given an honorable burial in the land. You know, Joseph must have had a magnificent tomb in Egypt. But he wanted to be buried in the land of promise. Because Joseph, like Joshua and Eliezer, the priest, appreciated the title to the land. What about us? Do we appreciate our title to the land? You say, what are you talking about? Well, remember, in the book of Joshua, the physical land of Canaan represents and illustrates the spiritual land that the Lord has given us. This is the land of spiritual realities, where our spiritual blessings in Christ are. This is the land where the Lord gives us victory in spiritual warfare. How much do you appreciate your title to the land? Are you established in the land? Have you realized and experienced the joy of the Lord in your life? Have you appropriated the spiritual blessing of your eternal security in Christ? Have you seen Satan's tactics overthrown because of your prayers? All of this is part of our title to the land. Are you established in the land? Listen, brothers and sisters, you will not find true blessing in your life outside the land. Don't bother looking. True fulfillment, true satisfaction is in the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. That's part of the land. And that's our title to the land. Faithful believers appreciate their title to the land. And finally, practical application. Are you a hen or a hog when it comes to commitment? Are you a hen or a hog when it comes to commitment? Now, what's this all about anyway? Are you a hen or a hog when it comes to commitment? Well, I'm reading, a little st- <laughs> I'm reading a little story that I picked up in one of the commentaries, all right? A hen and a hog were walking past a church and noticed the pastor's sermon title on the outside bulletin board. It read, what can we do to help the poor? As hogs and hens are accustomed to do, they entered into earnest conversation over the question as they continued on their way. At last the hen was smitten with a bright idea. I've got it, she crackled. We can help the poor by giving them a ham and eggs breakfast. Oh no, you don't, shot back the hog. For you, that only means a contribution. But for me, it means total commitment. (laughs) Although this is a humorous story, it does have a point. How committed are we? Are we just playing church? and making token contributions? Or is our commitment real and total and good for the long haul? Have we committed ourselves as living sacrifices, as Romans 12 says? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How committed are we? Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14 says, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How committed are we? Maybe this little humorous story about the hen and the hog will focus for us what true commitment is all about. Are you a hen or a hog when it comes to commitment?